Today is the 16th day of January in 2024. We welcome you to our Chapter 49 podcast. My name's Larry Landon. I'm a retiree and uh, work in communications uh, as a volunteer for Chapter 49. Chapter 49 ref- represents all, not all, most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. I have to be careful how I word that. But we're very happy you've chosen to join us today in what we try to keep a weekly podcast. And with us again, Duncan Giles, our NTEU Chapter 49 president. Welcome once again, Duncan. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here. So uh, I don't know about where people are watching or listening to this podcast, but in central Indiana, we have been in the deep freeze for several days. It looks like we're not going to get out of it for a while. We'll have a little uptick, and then boom, we're back in, in the cellar again when it comes to temperature. So for those of you who are watching or listening from warm climates, uh, good for you. <laughs> for the most of the rest of us, uh, it has not been easy going when wind chills at 25 to 30 below. Yeah, at least we're not in Buffalo where, you know, you celebrate touchdowns by throwing up snowballs in the air. I, it was almost like snowball fireworks in Buffalo, so... Well, when, At least we when, don't have that. When games get ugly, you know, people do throw snowballs onto the field. And there wasn't any – I didn't see any of that. There might have been some. Yeah, Buffalo, they had to delay the game an entire day because of that snowstorm. And uh, the, when the game was played, the storm was over. But uh, I guess they were offering $20 in free food to anybody who'd come and clear off snow. And I guess $20 got, an hour, yeah. And the good thing is, is there was no snow inside the stadium in Dallas because – I'm betting those fans would have been throwing snowballs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, as you have attested to, you have been to Dallas at times when winter weather has descended upon that city, have you not? Uh, nothing like flying in when an ice storm is starting and actually telling the cabbie three to four times, please pull over and let me drive. <laughs> you, you know nothing about driving in this weather. I do. I live in the Midwest. <laughs> but... Uh, well, it's good to have you all with us. Good to have you with us, Duncan. So let's get to business. And uh, no big surprise, uh, we are once again all eyes on the United States Capitol building as we have Senate and House leaders who say they have a continuing resolution set up. That's what they say. But I understand weather has actually hindered some of the members of the House getting back to the building or getting back to Washington. I think the Senate is, is there for the most part. At least that's what I heard as of just a few hours before we recorded this. Or we're, it's the, we're recording early in the morning on the 16th of January. So Congress is doing what they do best, waiting everything until the last minute, not acting until they have a deadlines looming in their face. So uh, for those federal employees who are only concerned about whether or not there'll be a budget, and whether or not we are facing a shutdown. Uh, Duncan, what do we tell these folks? Well, not to worry at all, because Congress has agreed to a top-line number, so everything should go smoothly from here on out. And if you believe that, you're drinking way too much and you need to stop. Um, it's, it's, you know, Groundhog Day and perfect weather for this type of thing. Okay, they've agreed to a top-end number. They still have to pass appropriations bills. They've got a continuing resolution bill that they're going to be doing. Uh, the Senate is working on it first. 
um, to try and forestall. We're not impacted at the IRS by the upcoming um, lack of funding on the 19th, but they're planning on a two-tiered, again, uh, continuing resolution that would take it into early March. And then by early March, they're saying we'll have the all the budget bills passed and able to be going moving forward. Now, if that sounds familiar, that's because we keep hearing the same thing over and over and over. And it just gets to be where federal agencies and employees are literally Charlie Brown and Congress is Lucy with the football and keeps yanking that sucker away when we try and kick it. That's a sad state of affairs, but that's about where we're at right now. And this comes from the Speaker of the House, who literally guaranteed there would be no more continuing resolutions until he saw right in front of him the fact that there's no way that that his caucus was going to go along with this. And the real hang-up is not the Senate. The Senate's going to have a cloture vote. It's kind of a technical thing, but they're going to to end up passing this uh, on the 16th, as as, as best we know. Uh, Of course, when people listen to this, maybe, and watch this, maybe things have changed. We hope not. But the Senate is going to act, and then it goes to the House. The biggest problem is is a a, um, group of of members of the House within the Speaker's own party who don't like this deal. But, you know, the Speaker realizes that he has got to pass this. He knows it's not good for his party to have a government shutdown at this point, uh, this close to an election. Yet on the other hand, he's got people in his caucus who are screaming and yelling they'd rather have a shutdown than have the budget that's basically been agreed to, as you mentioned. So at this point, Duncan, I, I'm, I've been reading so much. And what you, what you try to do in a case like this is read journalists who have covered the Congress for a long time. And when I do that, what they're saying is that as crazy as things have been in Congress in recent years, this is unprecedented. Yeah, it truly is. I like you. I'm a student of this, and you know, reading it, and it's just it, it's just inconceivable. Um, you know, and like unlike Indiana Montoya, I do know what that word means. Um, it's just I can't believe that it keeps coming to this because a small minority of one party is just holding things up. You know, because it used to be, if it, you had to, you'd just go at it in a bipartisan manner. You'd compromise. Nobody would get everything that they wanted. You'd compromise and pass something and move on. You figure out what's most important to you and get that. But we've got so many people in Congress, in this country, and everywhere that I want everything that I want. And if you don't like it, tough. I'm not going to change one iota. And specifically in a in the federal government and funding, you can't have that. You have a two-party system. You're going to have to come to an agreement to figure out what works best for the country overall, and you're not going to be able to get everything that you want as much as you'd like to. Well, and there's one other aspect of this that is of interest to IRS workers. Uh, Commissioner Werfel uh, gave an availability to a number of journalists a few days ago and said very interesting things. He was asked about the shutdown, and if there is one, how that would impact IRS. And he said, well, we, we don't normally have shutdowns in the middle of a tax season. Now, uh, the, the filing season is starting, 
and and his his basic message to the reporters to, with whom he was speaking was that, okay a shutdown will not like screech everything to a halt but it really produces tremendous risk that we're not going to be able to process all these returns the way we should and we are poised to do that as an agency unless of course we're forced into a shutdown and Duncan remind us and we hope there won't be one but if there happens to be a shutdown how does that impact IRS during a tax filing season? Yeah, during the fact, when it's non-filing season, you have very few who are going to be called employees that are going to be having to work. Uh, the vast majority, I believe, of employees will be called in to work if there is a shutdown. And what that means is that you're going to be doing your normal job. You will get paid but it won't be until after the shutdown ends. Now, if a shutdown's a couple of days, it's not that big of a deal. If a shutdown you know, runs like we had several years ago where the 35 days, you're talking missed paychecks, and we don't want that to happen. On top of everything else, you've got um, folks in the House and the Senate that are saying that they're close to a tax writing bill that's going to expand uh, some business credits and the um, earned income tax credit for children. And they want it to be for the tax year of 2023, which would really throw a wrench into the filing season readiness and preparation. But since, we, as you mentioned, we're getting ready to kick that off at the end of the month. So there's a lot of moving pieces here that have to go smoothly. Well, the problem with the tax bill, and I've been reading about this too, is that it appears there's some kind of, again, overall <laughs> uh, top-line agreement on this. The big compromise was uh, one part of the, of the Congress wants these business credits. Another part of Congress wants that uh, child credit, which uh, was implemented during COVID and had taken so many families out of poverty. And so you've got these two uh, forces which appear to have come up with a compromise, as you mentioned, which is the way it's supposed to be. The problem is they want this to be effective retroactively, essentially. Now, having been a, a tax law specialist and a manager <laughs> within IRS, this is a nightmare scenario. We've gone through this before with other tax law provisions, but it was something like the alternative minimum tax, which maybe impacted fewer people. This is going to impact millions of people. I mean, the number of businesses is fairly small. Uh, I mean, you can argue about the impact, but the, if you're dealing with that child credit, that impacts millions of people. So uh, we obviously, there. You know, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm just saying it's a very bad way to uh, run a tax system because I, I know the commissioner will is will be pulling his hair out trying to figure out how in the world we're going to implement as an agency. I say we because I'm retired, but I'm still kind of a part of the whole thing that's IRS. Uh, I, I do think that the IRS will have a lot of challenges to get that done. But, uh, Duncan, you know, it's, it's funny. Congress thinks we'll just magically get this done somehow. Yeah, and, you know, all I can see is an avalanche of amended returns or something of that nature from people who've already filed or trying us trying to readjust on the fly to our computer systems, and it's it's just not go, would not be a good scenario for anyone, employees, taxpayers, preparers, no one. So it's it's going to be interesting if they can get that passed, and that's the key thing here in 
uh, you know, in the federal government right now, and specifically in Congress, to see if much of anything can get passed. Of course, as you've mentioned, Duncan, we're relying on that IT system IRS has, which was uh, up to date in the mid nineties. So we're exactly. so you know we're not exactly up to date on technology. If we were, it would be much easier to to implement something like that. Still difficult, but it's. Yeah, what we're going to have is something I'm going to mention later where we have to take a whole group of employees doing one thing and move them to another function. Uh, that's what would have to happen as far as the employee impact is concerned. And that's, that's disruptive to the, to the workplace, to the workflow, and, and, and a lot of and I can, as both the management and a union and employee, it's not good for any of us. We certainly do want to help these families who need it. I mean, that's not the issue here. The issue is how we get it done and the timing and and the implementation of it. So we'll continue to watch this whole issue of uh, funds for government, keeping the government open. Uh, it's going to come down to the wire again. It's done, we've done that two or three times already uh, in the last several months. It looks like we're headed uh, to the same thing again as far as the first group of that this tier the first tier will have to be taken care of here in, the, in just the next few days let's move. and the first tier does not involve the irs i want to make yes. sure everybody remembers that. irs is february 2nd that's the deadline for irs so but a group of uh, many other agencies have their deadline earlier so that's just you know you need to be people need to be remember that remember that and it's uh keep that in mind as we just uh, continue this discussion Let's talk about something else. This has been this has happened as far back as I can remember when I went to work for the government. Anytime you get a pay raise, people say, "Okay, it's the new year. It's 2024. First check I get's going to have a pay raise in it." No. We have to wait a little bit. Explain <laughs> explain how that works now. And I'm sure as a chapter president, you get these questions every time this year. Absolutely, and I'm anticipating them when the uh, when the paychecks come out uh, later this week, early next week, where people are going, hey, where's my raise? I thought we we're getting a raise. Where, why is it not increased? It's increased after you have to remember that there are 27 pay periods this year. It's very screwy, for lack of a better term. So it doesn't go until the fiscal year, not the fiscal year, but the pay periods end. So our first pay raise is in effect the uh, the 5.2 overall, the 4.7 and a half percent, depending upon where you are and where you're listening to this from, are in effect as of uh, as of Sunday, the pay period that started Sunday. So it's still going to be a couple of weeks before you see that raise. It won't be on this coming paycheck, but the paycheck after that. So yes, you did get a raise. Don't freak out if you don't see the pay raise on your paycheck this coming pay. It's going to be the one after that. Just want to make sure that folks are aware of this because I know it's going to create a lot of confusion everywhere. Yeah, I think the best way I can suggest people envision this is you have to have the first full pay period in the new year. And then that paycheck, which you, of course, get later, that's the one with, with the full pay raise, Correct. Yep, and because the uh, because this pay uh, pay period went so long, the pay period twenty seven, because of the way things worked out, we had twenty seven pay periods this the past year instead of twenty six. That didn't end until this past Saturday, 
that's why you're not getting the pay raise uh, until later than usual. So it's just a timing issue, but you will get your raise, folks. You may have to wait a little bit longer for it. I want to ask about something else. You have talked uh, several times in the last few podcasts about the national midterm negotiations. Again, national agreements go for five years, but in the middle of that contract, each side can take up five different articles and look to perhaps renegotiate some of those uh, provisions. Uh, We've talked in the past about some of the issues that are before the the, the two sides that are um, negotiating right now for the uh, midterm. It's not the whole contract, just a a small portion of it, but sometimes critical parts of it. Uh, So uh, where does that stand? When do you think we'll uh, be hearing any news about the midterm negotiations? Uh, yeah, they finished up uh, last week in the regular part of the negotiations, and now we're waiting to hear how successful they were. Were they able to wrap everything up? Are they just fine-tuning? Or are there still major issues out there that we're separate on that we are not a- that we haven't been able to move forward and we need to go uh, the- to the next step, which would be, um, you can call it fact-finding, you can call it mediation, you can call it uh, quasi-arbitration, however you want to phrase this, it would that would be the next step. And we haven't heard yet, um, you know, where it's at. And again, the three main issues are looking at, okay, can we, you know, greatly expand the distance for the telework locations from the 200 miles it is now to basically no limit. That we still have the twice a pay period because that's an OPM regulation, but it would expand greatly across the country where you could be. The fact of trying to increase the awards uh, percentages, which would increase the awards amount, um, potentially a great deal. And then you have management's proposals that they really want to do um, the desk sharing slash hoteling right away and increase the capacity even more just because there are uh, a lot of buildings that are constricted, even though we've got an, a lot of empty desks across the country, that they're not filling in those locations. So we're waiting word on those and hopefully should have that any day. And once we do, we'll get them out on our Facebook page and probably talk about them next podcast. But at this point, we do not have an update. Okay, so there are some very important issues at stake here. How much desk Absolutely. sharing the how much desk sharing employees will have to withstand, uh, um, and then of course enhancing uh, the uh, uh, awards program and uh, allowing people to live even further away from their post of duty and work uh, telework. So that's is that pretty much it. Yeah, those are the big ones, and I mean it's just the on the you know IRS wants to do rent reduction, which is understandable where you have buildings where they're not having a great deal. But I was talking last week in a meeting to an executive and they were talking to me about, well, we want to hire in this POD. Well, I'm informing them that this POD is going to be closing. It's still slated to be closing, but you're still hiring people in that building, even though you know you're going to have to move them to another location in the commuting area. They wanted to hire more people in another one that's an outlying area of Chicago. And I'm like, there's no more room at the end. Even with desk sharing, you're not going to be able to put more people in there. So it's a very complex situation where facilities and the business units are going to need to continue to talk 
And I'm hoping that that filtered up to the negotiating table for management. Well, the other part of this, Duncan, is, uh, and fill me in on this if I'm missing something here, but isn't it true that when you're a new employee, you don't work telework for a while, correct? That has been, that's what's the in the contract. Pandemic changed a lot of that. And some business units are still going back and forth. Some of them are going back to pre-pandemic saying, okay, we're going to train you you know, here in a particular location, you're not going to be teleworking. Other business units are saying, we're going to train you online. We're going to train you remotely. We're going to let you go uh, telework right from the get-go. So, and, and it's still a mix right now, and it's evolving all the time. So, you know, we're not sure. There, there is no set answer for that anymore like there used to be. Okay, so it's basically whatever management decides they want to do, and it's uh, business units are doing it differently. That's quite interesting. Let's move on to another issue. Uh, this, As we head into a new year, what is normally seen is an uptick in the number of, of retirement claims. Uh, the Office of Personnel Management is bracing themselves, as I understand it, for a big surge of retirement claims coming out. I saw some numbers that in 2023, close to 89,000 people filed for retirement throughout the entire federal government. Um, 12,400, those were processed in January alone of last year. So again, uh, if you as uh, maybe a lot of people who are just recently retired or thinking about retiring uh, or maybe are retired still uh, listen or watch this this podcast, uh, just need be aware that uh, if you are retiring and you just recently put in your paperwork, uh, you may have a little bit of a delay. OPM's doing better, but it, they admit that they're not where they want to be. Yeah, and it's a struggle for them. You know, it's almost like the, they keep predicting the tsunami wave of federal retirements, and they haven't hit the tsunami wave yet, but it is increasing. OPM is trying. They are trying. They're doing more hiring. They're trying to get more and more agencies to do electronic here at the IRS. We go by what's called the GRB platform where you put in your retirement to try and eliminate a lot of those errors because that's what causes a lot of the things to take much, much longer. Um, you know, the bottom line is, is if you're thinking about retiring, you want to make sure that you've got, you know, everything done correctly. You want to make sure that your numbers are working out for you. Know what you're going to get. For your retirement, if you're under 62, your supplement, if you're over 62 or over, what your Social Security is going to be, what you have in your thrift savings, to make sure that you're ready. And once you're ready to go and put in your paperwork, make sure that you take the time to scrutinize that paperwork. There are a lot of places out there, you know, we've had the folks on from United Benefits who have said they can help uh, you with your retirement as you go there. And there are other places like that out there. So just make sure that you get it done correctly as early as possible in that way to eliminate some of that uh, lag that the backlog causes. Yeah, and I have to credit IRS. When I retired 12 years ago, uh, they looked over my uh, application and they pointed out some errors who got corrected before it went to OPM. So uh, that certainly helped me get my full retirement much more quickly than if OPM had been required to go back and forth. So 
I try to compliment the IRS every time I get a chance, Duncan. So there's one of those times. <laughs> I want to uh, ask about something else because uh, identity theft was getting to be a very big issue when I was a manager. Now, some of my employees were detailed at, at one point to help with that. Uh, right now, the IRS has been trying to deal with people who are uh, dealing with identity theft where IRS needs to get involved. Now, listen to this. I didn't know this until just the other day because the taxpayer advocate always comes up with the top 10 issues. And she added an additional issue in her most recent report. And her most recent report said that people who are needing help from IRS with identity theft are waiting a year and a half on average for IRS to resolve their cases. A year and a half. Think about that for a moment. So why did this happen? We don't know for sure, but another part of the report from the taxpayer advocate said that the IRS reassigned just about 600 employees that were working identity theft cases and put them on the phones to answer phone calls. So this robbing Peter to pay Paul thing is happening. We only have so much in our budget we can't do everyone. You want us to answer the phone? Fine. We're, these poor people who are undergoing identity theft issues are going to have to wait months more because our uh, IRS employees are being reassigned. Duncan, to me, this is just another example of uh, when Congress starves the IRS budget, the public really does suffer. Yeah, and you, you have put it exactly correct. Robbing Peter to pay Paul. Okay, we'll get the level of phone service up. Well, where are those people going to come from? Hiring? Absolutely. But then you're pulling them from other things like the identity theft program. And, you know, you've got to have some speciality to be able to work that. You know, it's just like you can't throw somebody off the street and say, okay, now you're going to be working the identity theft. It takes a lot of training to be able to do that. And when you take these specialized folks and put them on the phones, then you're not having these people able to process these things, which are hugely important. So we're hoping that, you know, as we've been able to hire more people for the phones, been able to hire more people overall uh, in enforcement, now starting to hire in enforcement as well, that we won't have to do that. But I totally get where, you know, the taxpayer advocate is coming from on that particular issue because we do need to do better for those folks who are experiencing those identity theft issues in relation to the IRS. Okay, Duncan, uh, your final comment. Yeah, mine is, um, I've been, you know, looking a lot on some different sites, talking about toxic employees, whether they're bargaining unit or non-bargaining unit, management at every level must do better with toxic employees because that's what really can destroy an organization. You want to, you know, you want to do what you can to diffuse that type of situation. If it's a toxic manager, you give them training. You try and point out where they need to help. You get them mentoring. If that doesn't fix it, you move them to wherever they can better serve aside from managing people or, you know, walk them out the door. If you've got a toxic employee who's basically destroying a group by, you know, either their attitude or they are not doing their job or whatever it is, you need to talk to that employee, find out what's going on, counsel them. Make sure that they're, uh, you know, understand what they need to do. But toxic uh, people, employees, 
bargaining unit or non-bargaining unit can really, really, really destroy a group. And you want to make sure that that's taken care of by whatever means you need to do as soon as possible and make sure you hit all the steps you can to try and correct that because otherwise you'll have more and more people leaving the organization when, you know, you can't afford to lose good people. You know, Duncan, that's a really good point, but I want to ask you one thing, and people have asked me this in the past. How do you define toxicity? I mean, when when do things get to the point when they're toxic? I mean, what uh, when people ask that question, what do you tell them? What I tell them is, to me, a toxic employee is one who is impacting the rest of the group. When it's spreading out to the rest of the group, when it's either a manager or a fellow employee who's uh, either the way that they're working the way that they're directing, the way that they're not working spreads to the rest of the group. It's almost like everybody is catching a contagious disease. Okay, well, if that person's not working, why should I have to work? You know, and that, Or if that person has a horrible attitude, why do I want to be a part of it? I don't need to listen to this. Or if this manager is going to treat me this badly and management's going to let them, even though I've let them know what's going on, why would I want to be a part of this? Why, you know, that's why I want to get out. So when it starts to affect other members of the group, that's when I say it's getting toxic, when it's, when it's starting to spread to other people. Well, Duncan, you and I have both dealt with both sides of that as union officials, and I've seen it as a manager. When you have either a toxic employee or manager, things can go awry, and it impacts the workplace. And that's exactly where you're going with that. My final comment is pretty quick and simple. Anytime we have extreme weather, please take care of yourself. In many parts of the country that are watching this or listening to this, you have been dealing with some very bad weather. The temperatures get wind chills of 25 to 30 below. That's what we've seen here in central Indiana where Duncan and I live and work. So please take care of yourself. Make sure you follow the advice of the National Weather Service and other people uh, who uh, are advising you as to how to dress if you have to be outside. And if you don't have to, then, uh, you know, don't. Like the school systems uh, in my area are all on a two-hour delay just because they don't want the students out there in the coldest time of the day standing waiting for a bus. So, uh, you know, adults need to, to try to take care of themselves as well. Thank you, Duncan Giles. We appreciate you coming and talking to us again on the Chapter 49 podcast. As I mentioned earlier, we have a weekly podcast as best we could make it. Uh, we appreciate any comments you might want to make about our podcast. Just send us an email at nteu49 at aol.com. Right, we have an AOL account, nteu49 at aol.com, and you can make a comment about our podcast and we will certainly take that into consideration again we uh, thank you for watching and listening this is why duncan and i take time out of our schedules every week to do this podcast we uh, get good feedback from you and always appreciate that as well in the meantime we appreciate you being here be safe and be kind <laughs>